Well, hey, church, how we doing? See, second time I didn't say good morning. I've learned. I've learned. Well, we're gonna we're gonna transition right into our preaching today. Uh, so why don't you go ahead if you got a Bible and turn with me to the book of John? We're going there together. John chapter fourteen, and uh, we're in the middle of a series here at Nova called Jesus is. Jesus is, and what we've been doing is taking because. As, as you may know this, maybe you do, maybe you don't, if you've been around the church circles for a little while, there are a lot of opinions in our world about who Jesus is, right? Lots of people think that he was a wise man or a good moral teacher. A lot of people think that he was like, you know, someone to aspire to be like a good role model. But Jesus himself actually defines who he is in scripture. He doesn't leave us guessing. He doesn't make us kind of like take stabs in the dark at like, was he a moral teacher? Is he a role model? Is he, who are you? And so Jesus has all of these statements in the book of John where he says, I am fill in the blank. So he's got, I am the bread of life. He's got, I am the good shepherd. I am, and what we're reading today is in John chapter 14. And we've been going over it for a couple of weeks. At first we talked about Jesus as the way. The way to live, the road map, the mental map that we follow to live this life well, according to the way that God designed us to, and according to the way that is actually beneficial for us as people. But then we also looked at last week, Pastor Mike preached on Jesus as the truth and how he is the authority. Well, from him is where we take our cues. We don't figure it out from culture. We, we take it from Jesus. What he says goes. And this week we're going to be looking at Jesus is life. So if you have a Bible, if you got it open, we're going to start in John 14 verse 6. It says this as we read it together. Jesus told them, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now this, this conversation comes out of the context of Jesus talking to his disciples and they're like, where, where are you going? Because he's like, I'm where I'm going, you can't follow. And they're like, wait, wait, where, where is it that you're, you're going, Jesus? He's like, oh, no, you know the way. And they're like, we, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, well, I'm the way. I'm the way to where I'm going. And they're like, okay, well, then... Can you show us the Father? And what I love is that after this little passage, Jesus actually says, what do you mean? I've been with you this long. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The life of Jesus is actually a life of getting to the Father. You see, when we read this, we can sometimes think getting to the Father is what happens when you, you accept Jesus, and then you die one day, and then you go to heaven, and that's how you get to the Father. But what Jesus is actually talking about in this verse is life with the Father. So come on, we're going to pray. We're going to unpack this together. We're going to get into what it means that Jesus is the life. Would you pray with me as we start this morning? Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that you have a good life plan for us, that there's a way that we're to live, that you didn't leave us in the dark trying to figure it out on our own, where every generation we need to rewrite what it is to be a good person or to have good morals. But Father, you defined what it is to live the abundant life. And so Father, as we dig into this, as we look into what it is to live the life that you've created us for, I pray that you would speak. God, that you would open our hearts. Right now we say, come Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what it is that you want to speak to us. May my words fall to the floor and be forgotten. But may your truth and your conviction and your encouragement take root in hearts and produce fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Show of hands, where are my parents at in the room? Parents at. All right, now, parents with young kids, where are you at? Yeah, this is, these are my people right here. All right, now, I, I wanted to just say as we get going this morning, I'm at, oh, this morning, I did it again. See, there it is. Today, I'm at, the, I'm at the most fun phase. Like Em said, we're at the phase where my youngest son is learning how to walk. We're at the, also the other phase where my second youngest son, Ellis, two years old, is learning to potty train. So pray for us um, because... You know how it goes. If you've been through it, you've been through it. If you haven't been through it, it's great. Have kids. They're fantastic. 
But we're also at the phase right now, which I think is just super fun, you know, which is learning to ride a bike. I mean, it doesn't get much better in the parent win column than learning how to ride a bike. And now this is funny because you start to see, you don't think your kids have their own personalities until they start doing stuff like this. And then you realize my oldest is very different than my middle, right? My oldest child is the kind of kid who doesn't want, to, who doesn't want you to see him fail in any way. So he'll be like, you're like, Leo, jump on the bike and try it. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then when you're not paying attention, he like goes and does it in secret so that if he fails, you don't see him. My other, my middle child, he's like, no, I'm just not going to do it. And you're like, okay. And he, when you're not looking, he still doesn't do it. Like until he's like, no, I'm going to do it. You're like, no, you can't go outside. It's raining. He's like, I go ride bike now. And I'm like, no, no, it's raining. You can't go outside. He's like, I go, daddy. I go, daddy. He puts on his boots. And I'm like, get back inside. We had to put a padlock on our door up top. Because he's like, no, no, I'm going outside now. He, he just has a different personality where he's like, I'm going to do it my way, right? And how many of you know that that doesn't really work when you're learning how to ride a bike? Right now he's in the tricycle phase, and I'm just trying to get him to use the pedals. Like, this is where we're at in our bike riding journey with him. I'm like, Ellis, buddy, you got to use the pedals. He's like, no, daddy, I know use pedals. I'm like, I don't know why we haven't taught him. I won't yet, but I know use, right? He's taken after his Italian heritage. He's just broken English, right? Eliseo, it comes with the territory. But this is what he does, right? He's, he gets on the bike, and instead of pushing with the pedals, because once again, he's trying to keep up with his older brother who's riding around, he's like, no, no, I just push. And he'll get into the most awkward position on this bike and then just, like, pedal with his little feet on the ground, like Fred Flintstone, right? And I'm like, Ellis, that doesn't work that way, buddy. Put your feet on the pedals. But because he doesn't think it's going fast enough, he won't ride it the way that it's designed. My other son, on the other hand, he's like, you explained to me, Father, how this thing is designed, and I will do it that way. And I'm like, yes, son, excellent. Well, this is a bike, and it has training wheels. Now, these training wheels aren't going to be here forever, so don't get too used to them. And he's like, affirmative, I understand, right? But he, he gets on, and if I give him a pointer, he's like, I will put that into application right away, Father. And I'm like, yes, great. It's so easy with him. And so I said to him the other day, I'm watching him ride around in the driveway, and I'm like, he needs more space. We should go down to the rail trail. We go down to the rail trail. He gets a run-up. He just disappears, right? And we're like, Leo, come back. We literally had a stranger go, do you want me to go grab your son and bring him back? And we're like, do I want you to go and grab my son? Buddy, you don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> like, he knows enough about stranger danger that if you come up and go, hey, buddy, and just grab him, it, it's not going to go well. But so he's just way down this trail. And we're, like, yelling, like, Leo, come back, come back. But what he was doing is he was trying to go down the trail to try to turn around without us seeing him. So I wouldn't give him any more pointers. Oh, he hates my advice. That's what it is. He's not listening. He doesn't want it. But this is, what, this is what he does. And so the other day I was like, man, he's pretty much at the point where I think, Leo, buddy, I think we can move the training wheels up. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And I was like, why not? He's like, well, because then I'll fall. I was like, yeah, but don't you want to learn how to ride the bike properly? He's like, it's working for me, <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, but it's not, though. Like, you're not going as fast as you could go. Like, you're not, you're not, your bike is not functioning, functioning optimally for the way that it was designed because the training wheels are actually holding you back. And he was like, hmm, well, what do I get if I do it? I was like, an ice cream cone. He's like, done, right? Like, so we move the training wheels up. We go down to the thing. And he is so cocky, like, so confident. And he gets on, and then he's like, wow, like, immediately starts to fall over. And I'm like, oh, Leo, buddy, you got to be moving. He's like, why? And I'm like, well, because the way that a bike is designed, and I explained to him the physics, and then he's, he goes, stop, 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 just let me drive, right? <laughs> Literally cuts me off. And so I'm like, you need to have a little bit of speed so that your bike stays up. Because when you actually have momentum, your bike stays up. If you've never learned how to ride a bike, just pay attention. By the end of this, I promise I'll have explained it to you thoroughly. And so as he's driving, I'm explaining to him that he needs to keep his head kind of centered over the bike and use his arms to bring the bike back when it tilts one way or the other. And he's like doing the thing, right, where he's like looking, and then he starts to go to the side, and he's looking where he's going to go. And I'm like, Leo, you got to look off into the distance. Don't look at going off the path. Don't look where you could go. Look at where you want to go. And he's trying to put it together. But then... He keeps doing this one thing that drives me crazy, which is that when he feels like he's starting to tip, instead of pulling his bike back, he just slams his feet down into the ground. 
right? And he does this in a way because what he feels is that he's unstable and he needs stability and he needs security. And so what he's doing is he's putting his feet down so that he doesn't fall over, which is good, except that means that the bike is actually becoming less stable the more it slows down. And I'm trying to explain this to him, and eventually he, he gets going, and he gets up a lot of speed, and he does a little wobble, and he puts his feet down while the bike is still moving. And if you've ever done this, you know that the pedals on a child's bike with that hard, spiky plastic dig right into the back of his legs, and he screams at the top of his lungs. His bike finally comes to a stop. It's very awkward. He gets off kicks it over and goes, I can never do this. And I was like, whoa. So this is like a this is like a dad parenting moment. And so I run up to him, right? And I'm like, hey, buddy, hey, what's going on? He's like, I can't do it, dad, and I'll never be able to do it. And he's on the, you know, like one big tear is rolling down his cheek. And like a good dad, I get down. And I just grab his little face and I go, that's because you're doing it wrong. And he goes, what? I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. I was like, no, you're not, because if you were, it would be working, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. I I tried to explain to him in this moment, right, because he was pumped. He was so excited. All the excitement's gone because all of a sudden it's not working the way he wants it to work. And even though I've told him what he should be doing, he's not doing that. And And he goes, Dad, I'm doing exactly what you told me. I just can't do it. And I said, no, Leo, that's not actually true because if you were doing exactly what I told you, exactly how I showed you, you would be riding the bike. Because when you ride a bike the way that it's designed to work, it works. And right now you're learning to trust that it's going to work even when your feet aren't on the ground. And that's scary. Because you're giving up stability. And you need to learn to trust that when the bike is in motion, it's going to do what it needs to do. And it's actually going to keep you moving and you're not going to fall. And so it's okay that you're not doing it right because you're figuring it out. But don't give up. Needless to say, later that day we got ice cream. All right, we got ice cream. Jeremy, do you have that picture? Look at this. That is no training wheels, folks. We got them right off. And why is that? Because he started doing it the way that it was meant to be done. You see, it's okay when we make mistakes, when we're not doing something properly, because we, if you've ever gone through the process of learning how to do something, you know that it is very difficult to do it the way you're actually being told to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if you've ever had the, the privilege of training for something in sports and someone's filming you and your coach shows you how to do it and you're like, I'm doing it exactly the way that you told me to do it. And then you go and watch the footage and you're like, no, I was not. I look like a very awkward gazelle trying to do what you were telling me to do, right? Because when we're trying to learn something, it can be awkward. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to find stability. We're trying to do it in the way that feels most comfortable to us, even though we're not doing it properly. And when it comes to our faith, we can do the same thing. Because we're used to a certain way. We're used to the way that we've learned how to fight for ourselves and learned how to live and learned how to form relationships and learned how to get ahead in our career and learned how to be successful, even though it may not be Jesus' way. And then we come into church and we hear about the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us and how it's this life that's exceeding in quality to any other kind of life. And we hear about God has a plan and a purpose for us and he wants us to live these deeply satisfying, fulfilling lives. And we're like, that sounds good. And then it's like, yeah, but you need to do it Jesus' way. And we're like, okay, we'll give it a shot. And before too long, it feels like everything is wobbling. Because Jesus' way is not natural in our fallen state. When we've learned to do something for years and years and years the wrong way, all of a sudden we start trying to do it Jesus' way and it feels uncomfortable and it feels awkward and it feels like we're going to fall because what is holding the bike up in the first place? And so we put our feet down into what we used to know and how we used to do things. And when the pedal catches the back of our leg, when our sin catches up to us, when the consequence catches up to us, we're like, I don't understand. I thought that if I tried Jesus' way, it would be different, but it clearly doesn't work. And I just want to ask the question today. Are you doing it right? Like, 
if Jesus promises us this incredible life, which is deeply fulfilling and deeply satisfying, and we are not experiencing that, the question is, are we actually doing it the way that Jesus showed us to do it? Are we actually fulfilling it the way that Jesus is saying to do it? Or are we a little bit like Leo where when we, we start to wobble or we start to feel uncomfortable, we put our feet down. And we say, God, it's just not working. What if God this morning is saying, just keep trying? Because let me tell you something. He has patience for the process. He is a good father. And even though he can give you feedback, he doesn't give you feedback because he's mad at you. He gives you feedback because he wants you to be able to actually do what he's calling you to do. To live the kind of life that he's calling you to live. He wants you to live an abundant life that is free from sin, that is free from shame, where you're in right relationship with him and right relationship with others. And sometimes we try to live that life and we're like, yeah, but it's not working. I'll just do it my way. Maybe we're like Ellis, my two-year-old, who's like, no, no, I know pedal. I just push. Because this feels more progress, this feels faster for me. I feel like I'm making more progress this way. Even though he's like, no, you got to learn to use the pedals. That's the way I made it. Or maybe we're putting our feet down and we're getting caught out. Whatever it is, wherever we're at today, maybe you're just crushing it. And you're like, I am basically Jesus at this point in my life. I'm getting there. That's fantastic. But we need to ask ourselves the question, are, is the way that I'm living my life, delivering on what Jesus promised? And if the answer is no, then you're doing it wrong. And that's not a judgment. That's not condemnation. This is not me being like, I figured it out, so do what I'm doing. No, I'm still figuring it out. And there are aspects of my life where I have to admit I'm doing this wrong. Jesus told me to do it this way, and I just keep putting my feet down. But here's the good news is that he comes alongside of us and he grabs our little tear-soaked face and he wipes it off and says, let's just try it again. He wants to journey with us. He wants to give us abundant life. And I want to be clear, God, our Heavenly Father, is so patient to walk through the process that he's not nagging us. He's not just being like a nitpicker. He wants you to experience abundant life. And when you are trapped in sin, or when you are living a way that is contrary to the way of Jesus, it will steal, kill, and destroy, rob you. John 10.10. 10. But when we live according to the way of Jesus, we experience John 10.10 10, abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring. Remember that Eugene Peterson quote from two weeks ago? If not, I'll remind you. The Jesus way, wedded or married to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. The way of Jesus being guided and led by the truth of Jesus, who he is and what he says and what he asks of us, leads to the life of Jesus. Because we all want to experience the good life. Because that's what we're made for. We covered that two weeks ago. We are made for the garden life, abundant life that is good. However, we often misunderstand what the good life is. We think I can get it outside of God. I can do it another way. I can find it through that substance. I can find it through that escape hatch. I can find it through that entertainment. I can find it through that relationship. I can find it through that thing that I know that I probably shouldn't do. I can find it through religion. I can just follow enough rules and feel good enough about myself as a person. But Jesus says, no, that's not actually the abundant life. I have good life for you, but I need to define what it is. Jesus defines what the good life is. And in this verse, he's saying, I am Life. I am life. He's not like I'm a good life. I'm not like one of the choices. He's saying, no, no, the good life is me. Now, what does Jesus mean by I am life? He doesn't say I'm the way to live. I am a type of good life. He actually says I am life. So what does he mean by that? Well, first of all, he is the giver and sustainer of life. The giver and sustainer of life. John, the writer of this gospel account that we're reading, came to understand this critical truth years after this conversation with Jesus. And we can see that in the way that he starts the gospel. Look at this. John 1, verse 1. says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. Here he is talking about Jesus. I don't know if you remember in the Genesis creation story. If you don't know it, here's what it is. It says that God spoke, and all of creation came into being. He said, let there be light, and there was light. So what John is saying here is that Jesus is the word that departed from God to make it happen. 
Through him, all things were made. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You see, there's a progression to the life of Jesus that we see in this verse. First of all, it starts with creation. It's the giving of life. Jesus, first and foremost, gave us all life. Behind all the physics that's involved in the giant ball of plasma 150 miles away, 150 miles, <laughs> can you imagine? 150 billion miles away, kilometers away, that is the sun. Behind the rotation of the earth that's spinning at the perfect speed to create seasons and nights and days and different, different periods of time. Behind the amount of distance between us and the sun where if we were too far, we would freeze to death. If we were too close, we would just burn up. Behind all of the intricacies of creation that we see in our oceans and in our, in our mountains and in all of the creation that we have. All of the plant life that God has made. All of the animal life that God has made. Jesus was part of creating that. He was intimately involved and at the center of bringing everything that exists into being into creation. So it starts with him. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says, all things hold together through him. So not only is he the giver of life, who was there at the beginning, creating and putting things together, but he also is the sustainer of life. He's the one who keeps it moving in the direction that it needs to. He is the one who continues to give life day in and day out. It also says that he knit you together in your mother's womb that he knows every hair on your head. At the start of your creation story, Jesus was there, bringing you into life. The implications of that mean that he has a plan and a purpose for you. It's not by accident. It's not just through a biological event that you're here. It was ordained by God that you be here for such a time as this. The implications are that God wants to work in and through your life. But we all know, if you've been around long enough, the things aren't perfect, and we experience sin. We experience the fall. So the other thing that Jesus did to be life was restoration from death to life. We are literally dead in our sin before Jesus. Dead in our sin before Jesus. When we first encounter Jesus and his invitation to come follow him, we step into his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and we are brought to life says this in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 7. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. Thanks, Paul. That's nice. You used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Refuse to obey God. Let's stop there for a second. There is a huge difference between not being obedient to God and refusing to obey once you have heard. And what Paul says here is that is what the enemy is at work doing, trying to get you to refuse to obey God. That when God says, do this, you say, I'm not doing it. I refuse to do it your way. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Guys, before Jesus, we were unable to do anything. Spiritually, we were completely dead, unable to bring forth any life. But because of Jesus, not just his death on the cross that helped forgive us for our sin, but his resurrection from the grave, we now have access to resurrection life. I'll say that again. We now have access to the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The miracle of a dead man who was dead for three days coming up from the grave. 
is alive in you because of what Jesus did. That's good news this morning. It's not this morning. It's this afternoon. Good grief. You see, here's the thing. Not only does God set everything in motion, not only is Jesus at the center of all creation, but the only reason that we can come alive spiritually in any way is because he died on a cross and he rose from the grave. And then he said to us, you come follow me, I'm going to bring you with me. I'm going to make sure that your sin is dead on that cross. It can't affect you. It can't work in you. It can't drag you down. It can't separate you from God. But more than that, I'm going to raise from this grave and I'm going to bring you with me so that you no longer need to fear death. You can experience life. That's what he's talking about when he says life. And the last part of that is that it's transformation. From just life to abundant life. See, Jesus doesn't want you to just be alive spiritually and just struggling with sin for the rest of your life, feeling like it's dragging you down and breaking up your relationships and breaking up families and ruining everything that he's trying to bring about just so that one day we die and go to heaven. You see, it's more than that. The good news that Jesus came to proclaim is that the kingdom was here now. The kingdom is here now. And his invitation to us is to be citizens who are living in that kingdom here and now. Abundant life. Where like Romans, Romans 12 too, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Where we can actually become a new creation. Where instead of just wobbling along and putting down our legs every time we feel uncomfortable or we feel like God's not going to catch us. We actually learn to trust in him. It changes us from the inside and we live the way that God intended us to live. An abundant life that is rich in quality, that is satisfying, that is everything that we seem to be looking for. You know, one of the reasons I was able to convince my son to get back on the bike is because he has seen me ride a bike. He knows it will actually work. And here's the beauty. Jesus didn't just come and in theory give us life. He didn't just come and go, hey, like if you do this, then this will work. Uh, just, just, just trust me. You see, not only is he creation, not only was he holding everything together, not only did he rescue us from death, not only did he save us from our sin, and not only does he want to transform us into a new kind of life, but he modeled what it would look like when we get there. When Jesus says, I am the life, <laughs> what he's saying is the way that I live who I am as a person, the things that I do are for you too. And right there is where we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. He was God, all right? It's a little different. But we also believe in our theology, if we have a holistic theology, that Jesus became fully man, that he laid aside his Godhead, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grappled, but that he said, I'm going to become like you so that I can show you what good life looks like. You want to know how to live? I'm going to show you how to live. That's what he did. And the, the way that we see that modeled, this is what it looks like. The three kind of key aspects that Jesus reveals to us through his life and ministry here on earth. What it means to actually have the good life. If I were to explain to Leo, you got to keep your balance up, you got to keep your feet moving, you got to pull in those handlebars. The things that we need to do as Christians to embrace the good life and live the kind of life that Jesus lived, number one is connection. Connection to God. We need to live our lives in constant connection to God. Jesus was in constant connection with the Father. Throughout the gospel accounts, we see that that is central to the good life that he lived here on earth. The kind of restoration kingdom life that Jesus lived was based primarily out of relationship and connection to his Father. He's affirmed by the Father after his baptism that he is his son. And that the Father is pleased with Jesus before he had done any ministry, just by the nature of who he was. He would often disappear to lonely places to go and pray to the Father. He was in constant awareness and communication with God and the Spirit of God within him. We see that when the woman with the issue of blood sneaks through the crowd and touches him. And he says the power went out from him. And he knew 
that it had gone into the woman. He was in enough connection with the Holy Spirit. Imagine that your spiritual life with the Holy Spirit is enough that while walking through a crowd, someone touches you and they get healed, but you, you don't feel them touch you. You feel the power of the Holy Spirit go out from you. That's connection. That's awareness of what God is doing in him. Or how about when he raises Lazarus from the dead, he prays this prayer. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so they'll believe you sent me. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. I love that right there. He's like, just so you guys know, there is no break in this link. We are connected at all times. And so I'm just going to pray that out loud so that you're aware that that's how this is happening. It's not just me raising Lazarus. It is you raising Lazarus because of my prayer. You see, that's different. And that's what we need. We need constant connection with Jesus. We see that he had that with his father. So what does he say about our connection to God? It says this in John 15, verse 4. It's going to come up on the screen. We're going to read it together. It says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit unless it is, if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is painting in this verse, and if you go, go read John, the, the John 15 after church today. The amount of times that Jesus says, remain in me and I in you, remain in me and I in you, remain in me and I in you. What he's giving us a picture of is uninterrupted connection. A branch that is connected to a vine that doesn't just disconnect after Sunday service. That doesn't just disconnect after the conference. That doesn't like link up while we're listening to some elevation worship at home while cleaning the dishes and then disconnect to go watch House of Dragon, right? That's not what's happening in this verse. What Jesus is saying is all the time we need to be connected. We need to be connected because that is where we produce fruit. And this is how we do that. We need to have spiritual disciplines in place. Now, in and of themselves, spiritual disciplines have the potential to become religion. They have the potential to become spiritual elitism. Where it's like, well, uh, yeah, I do have a pretty good devotional time, about 45 minutes every morning. How about you? Oh, only 10? <laughs> That's cute. You'll get there. No, no, it's not about like, yeah, well, when I do my uh, monthly fast, you know, it's really difficult. But uh, I push through because, praise the Lord, he is my bread. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you don't fast? Okay. Oh, Daniel fast. Oh, that's cute. One day you'll do it with just water. It's not spiritual elitism. This is not the goal. The goal of reading your Bible is not to memorize your Bible, though that is good. The goal of fasting is not to lose weight. That's genuinely not what it is. It's to have these hunger pangs that remind you where your sustenance really comes from. You see, the goal of prayer is not just to have a badge where it's like, I can sit in a room for 45 minutes and pray, how about you? No, the, the goal of all of these things is to connect with Jesus. We read our Bible because it reveals Jesus. We spend time in prayer to be with Jesus. We fast in order to focus our mind and our attention on Jesus, to remind our hearts and minds where our sustenance really comes from. You know, Jesus, when his disciples come up to him, when he's talking with the woman at the well, and they're like, Jesus, we brought you food. He's like, no, 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 I'm not hungry. And they're like, oh, who gave him food? And he's like, I have food that you know nothing about. It's to do the will of my father. His sustenance was God. Our sustenance is meant to be God. That's why we do things like Sabbath. We take time out of work. We take time to actually stop and say, God, what are you doing in my heart and in my life? Where do you need me to connect with you? All of these things, Bible reading, fasting, Sabbath, prayer, things like worship. When we come in on this Sunday, do you know the goal of worship is not to make us feel good while we're up here? Like we're not up here being like, well, we were at 40% hands raised. We've got to say raise your hands more. We've got to say it, right? The reason that we're saying that is not because we care that you raise your hands. The reason is because we want you to connect with Jesus. Worship, prayer, fasting, Sabbath, spiritual disciplines are so that you can connect with Jesus. 
And here's the reality. We know that some of that stuff in 2023 is, is difficult. It's easier said than done, isn't it? It can feel like learning to pedal a bike for the first time, right? And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> it's not very enjoyable praying for 20 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll pray for my food. But I just enjoy Netflix a lot more. Like, it's been a long day, and I just want to unwind with my Instagram feed, you know, because that will restore me. That will make me feel better until you get into the comment section, and then you're like, I feel so much worse, and I've wasted my time. <laughs> but what we need to do is we need to recognize that the way of Jesus starts with connection with God. And everything in us is going to want to be that awkward two-year-old who's pushing their tricycle on the ground like Fred Flintstone instead of putting their feet on the pedals and just pushing through the awkwardness. I get it. Fasting the first time feels like you're dying. Dying. You're not. When you spend the first extended time in prayer, it can feel like, okay, that's probably a good 30 minutes. And you're like, two minutes? Oh, Right? The first time that you really dig into your Bible and more than just like a two-verse devotional thing and you really dig into trying to discover Jesus, you're like, this is complicated and sometimes difficult, but it's worth it to push through because God designed you for connection with him. God designed you for that connection. And here's the thing, the more that we experience connection to God and trust him and, and learn how to be with him, the more we actually trust his truth as the means and way to live. The more that we spend time with Jesus, the more that we're like, oh, I'll do it your way because I've seen you do it before. And I know that you're good and I know that you're for me. So instead of trying to do things my own way plus a little bit of Jesus, instead of me trying to have success plus a little bit of Jesus, I'm just gonna do whatever you ask me to do. We actually become dependent on him. The second part that we see in Jesus' life is dependence. John 5, 19, Jesus is talking to this group of Pharisees who are ticked with him for healing someone. They're like, how could you heal on the Sabbath? What is wrong with you? And Jesus says this in verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. So you will be amazed. See what Jesus is saying here? Because remember, theologically speaking, he's fully man. He's not doing his own campaign. He's spending time with the Father, being with him, connection with him, sneaking away to lonely places to pray, relying on him. And then he's dependent on what God is telling him to do. You know, sometimes we come up with the best campaigns to help God out, don't we? We're like, God, I'm, I'm going to do this business to help you out. And, and like, God, this church, this church is in your name and your glory. I am so thankful that we have lead pastors who say, God is building this church. We're just helping. We're partnering with God in what he is doing. We're not building this church for God. He is building this church through us. That is a huge difference. Because we see in the life and ministry of Jesus that he was completely dependent on God. He did no miracle in and of his own power. He did it through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. What's the implication for us? We can do the same thing. Now, before you're like, whoa, heresy. <laughs> what I'm saying here is that Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the will of the Father, performed every single miracle that he did. So when we, see where I'm going with this? Are filled with the Holy Spirit, and walk in the will of the Father. It means that when Jesus was saying, you'll do even greater things in my name, he wasn't being facetious. It means that when he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples, he's not just like, well, kind of, through your programs. He's like, you personally, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the will of the Father, dependent on him, can do these things. Team, you can come on out. I can hear you back there. I love you guys. Probably getting awkward standing on that ramp. Come on out. Come on out. Let's go back to John 15 for a second here. 
What does it say? It says, remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. When we are not connected with Jesus, we cannot produce fruit. You see what I'm saying? Look at what he says in the next verse. He says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us, first of all, we need to be connected to God for it. We need to be constantly walking with him, like it says in this verse, remaining in Jesus, connected to Jesus, walking with the Holy Spirit. But we also need to recognize that despite our best intentions, without the power of God and the presence of God working within us, we can do nothing. It's admirable. I think God loves it. I really think he does. Because it's like when my son is trying to ride his bike, but he's not doing it the way that I told him to. It's cute. It's sweet. And I come alongside him and like, you're almost there. But I think what we need to recognize is that for us to really do the things that Jesus has called us to do, for us to reach this city, to see Halifax one for Jesus, to see Lower Sackville and Bedford and Beaver Bank and Hammonds Plains one for Jesus, we cannot do it alone. And the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us is not a life that we're supposed to just hoard to ourselves and be like, well, I have salvation, so I'm good now. Part of what makes this life abundant is that we get to share it. It's like when Black Panther came out, you know how many people told me to go watch that because it was going to change my life? It was some of the best evangelism I've ever seen. It didn't change my life. And sometimes we take our life with Jesus and we're like, this is a personal conviction. Yeah, that's not what Jesus called us to do. And when we have connection with him, and when we're dependent on him, he actually sends us out into the harvest. He sends us out to go do the work that he has called us to do. But here's the beauty, is that when he says you can do nothing except through me, he says this in Luke 24, 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. This is, Jesus has risen from the grave. He's about to ascend into heaven. And the disciples are going to stand there like, what? What just happened? But before Jesus goes up, he says this, stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. These young men, these disciples had been with Jesus for years. They knew his strategy. They knew the way he did ministry. They knew the technique. And Jesus is like, that's not enough. No, you need the Holy Spirit. So you go and wait in the city until I send the Holy Spirit. Until I send the one that I've promised you. That my Father has promised. And here's the thing, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, we exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. Now I just want to ask you, when it comes to the life that you want to live, I just want you to picture it in your mind. Do you want to be a bitter, cynical, grumpy, greedy person that no one wants to be around? You know, just toxic, full of gossip. No one wants to share anything with you because they know that you're going to share it with other people. Do you want to be the kind of person that's just mastered by things? Like you just can't help but eat that donut when that donut comes around. You just can't help but look at that screen when that thing is there. You just can't help but take that drink when it's put in front of you. Is that the kind of life that like we're like, well, that's the good life. No, we know what the good life looks like. And I just want to put this out there contrast the fruit of the Holy Spirit with the good life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the good life right there. That's the kind of life that Jesus has on offer for us. And the reality is this, that even sometimes when we've accepted Jesus, and we, we can be like the branch, right? Like, we feel like we're, like, getting ready to produce fruit, but sometimes it feels like weeds can come up and choke us. The good news is that when we're dependent on the Holy Spirit, he comes along and cuts down all the weeds that would choke it out so that we can bear fruit. We know that when we're living dependent on God, when our lives look like that, we will overflow with the fruit of the Spirit. This is what Jesus is getting at in John 15. You will produce much fruit. What fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
faithfulness and self-control. And so the question is this, if your life doesn't look like that, are you maybe slamming your feet down? Trying to do it your own way, trying to stabilize your own life? Where instead of dependency on God, maybe you're just really self-sufficient. Maybe you're really good at business and it's gotten you through. Maybe you're really, really good at speaking and it's just, it's just made things easy for you. Maybe you're good with numbers. Maybe you're good at your job. Maybe you're good in relationship and people seem to enjoy you. And so for the most part, life feels pretty good. But it's not enough. Because without him, we can do nothing. And so what we realize in the life of Jesus is this. It leads us, first of all, connection to God, dependence on God, leads us into obedience to God. Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You will know that you are experiencing the abundant life when you want to be obedient to God. Because it's much easier to do things our own way. But the model that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus is for us to be obedient. For us today, let me just put this out there, disciples of Jesus were often killed, thrown to the lions, thrown to the gladiators. They were arrested. Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. John was arrested and held on an island. How is that abundant life? But you see, when we really understand what abundant life is, when we understand that it's connection with God, dependent on the Holy Spirit, it gives us something deep inside that even our circumstance can't take away. In contrast to the way of the world where sometimes you have all the circumstance, you got the car, you got the white picket fence, you got the nice house, you have the smoking hot spouse, you have everything that you think you could possibly want and you still feel like something is missing. See, Jesus goes the opposite way. He says, no, I'm going to take care of the internal life because that's what abundance is. I'm going to give you something that the world can't take away because this is just the start of it. This is just the start of it. Look at this, Philippians 3.8. We end with this. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have dis discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That's the abundant life. And it's countercultural. And it's upside down compared to the way that our world looks at it. But when we truly understand the internal life that God wants to give us, that Jesus said he is, we step into something that the world can't take away. Because we know that this life is just the beginning. See, when we become Christians, when we get saved, we are actually starting our eternal life right now. And eternity in heaven with God is just a continuation of what he's already started doing in us now. The invitation of Jesus, the life that Jesus wants to give you, is life in the kingdom here and now. Not just one day when we die and go to heaven. It's now. So if I could just get you to bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around. If you're in this place, and you're not experiencing that abundant life, because you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to tell you that you can be saved today. All that sin, the shame, 
trying to do things your own way, trying to be the Lord of your own life, putting down your feet and getting those pedals right in the back of it. The good news is that you can know Jesus today. He can set you free from the consequence and power of your sin, and he can give you new life, life abundant. And it may not look the way the world does, but it's something deep inside that is characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And he wants to give that to you today. When we accept Jesus, he wants to give us his spirit alive in us so that we can be connected to him and we can, we can experience life. So if that's you, if you're in this place and you want to you experience that life, would you just slip your hand up high enough and long enough for me to see it? Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. You can throw it down. Well, come on, let's pray this prayer. And if you, I'm gonna pray this over you, but if you prayed that, if you lifted your hand, you just feel free to just say amen as I'm praying. That's standing in agreement. You're agreeing to what I'm saying. Father God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for those who have raised their hand today. Lord, I know that this this message was a challenge because the life that you offer doesn't always look like the life that we want, but it's the life we need. It's the life that we were made for. It's the one that brings deep fulfillment and satisfaction. It's the thing that actually makes us feel like we were created to be this way. So Father, I pray for these people who raise their hands, who are saying, I surrender. I wanna do it your way. And I accept the sacrifice that you made. And I ask you to raise me just like you were raised. So Father, I pray for these people that as they start this journey, as they go through that journey, that you would be with them, that you would walk with them, and they would experience the abundant life that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for these people? who raised their hand today, come on. From death to life, that's the best news. Hey, if you did raise your hand today, if you made a decision for faith, could you just do me a favor and text the word faith to 902-903-2682. Faith to, to it's not, on, anyways, we'll get figured out. 902-903-2682. Text the word faith to that. We would love to put a Bible in your hand. We would love to help you start that journey well. And uh, we'd love to equip you for that. So uh, that's us. We love you guys. Thanks for coming up, team. I think we'll wrap it up there. I'm going to pray for you as we go, and uh, we're going to go enjoy the rest of the sun for this beautiful day out there. Father God, I thank you so much for each and every.